good morning, everyone. So this is really um, a great, I think, scripture to start off um, the new um, teachings that Pastor Randy is going to start sharing with all of us. And what we're going to be reading from is Luke 1, 5 through 20. But I want to set the scene for you guys, um, because I think that if you hear the scripture, you may get lost in listening to the words and you don't actually receive all of the many gifts and the things that, you know, were shared throughout this reading. And, you know, the most interesting thing, I think, is the story is about the birth of John, John the Baptist. But if you look in your Bible, it says the birth of John the Baptist foretold, which is really about, you know, just telling you what's going to, to happen, you know, what's to come. And so the priest in this scripture is Zechariah. Zechariah is John the Baptist's father. I mean, imagine his father is a priest and his mother, as our scripture says, was the daughter of Aaron and she was Elizabeth. And the reason I want to set the scene for you guys, because I think it's really important that you know that they were good. They were great without sin, right? But Elizabeth was barren. And I think that's really, really important as you listen, because there's certain things that are going to happen and blessings that we want to come into our life. And I think sometimes we question why bad things happen to good people. But God is sovereign. And sometimes when we go through something, it makes us lean on the Lord as our rock, knowing and acknowledging him. And instead of saying, why me? We can ask, why not me? All right. Luke 1, 5 through 20. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was bearing. Both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside in, at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, 
for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit in our life's practice. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful scripture. And as Pastor Randy comes up here and prepares to teach us, let his message not fall on deaf ears. Let us all receive what our leader and pastor has for each of us. Let us hear from you, Lord, during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Miss Tiffany. I appreciate it. Now, kids, you guys can be dismissed to go to the back. And teenagers, there's a class back there for you as well. So if you'd like to go ahead and go back, we've got teachers and uh, all of those that are ready to be teaching you on your level. And you can connect with your friends back there as well. So God bless you guys. And thank you. So I hope that you'll keep Luke chapter 1 open on your app or in your Bible scriptures because I will be not only referring back to that but kind of sharing some of those parts of scripture up on the screen. But you will also see me kind of um, condensing down and uh, giving you an overview of some of the things that uh, happen in Luke chapter 1 as well, which are important to the story, not just this story, but the story of Christmas. And so, as Tiffany said, there's a lot going on here that might get missed just simply in a few words and phrases, but there are some things that are happening, and yes, the story that we just read is about John the Baptist, but in all ways and always, it always points back to Jesus, and really... The one to remember over the next few weeks is something that I have up here, and that is the passage of Scripture from Luke that says that it is Jesus that is at the center of all that we do. And so if we could go to slide number three real quickly, it will be up here on the screen and you will see it. The one to remember, and the angel said to them, being the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And yes, we are talking about how Christmas is the thrill of hope. Now, I don't know if you guys saw that in your email or saw that come through or whatever it might be, maybe on your text, but if you saw it, did you guys remember that thrill of hope line? Do you guys know where that thrill of hope line comes from? If you do, can I see your hand real quick? There's like two of you. Man, 
Listen, let me tell you something. When it comes to Jeopardy category Christmas carols, I ain't calling any of you for extra help. You're not going to be my lifeline except for two of you because if you remember the song, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world and sin and error pining. It's, it's pretty much just like I'm saying it. It's just a little different version. And then he goes on and he says, The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And this is so true because ultimately the Christmas season finds us in our weariness and brings hope to us and changes everything for us in that way. And so the thrill of hope that I'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks has to do with who in the Christmas story had hope and how did that hope find them and why is it important and how does it apply to you and I? You guys all understand where I'm coming from and where I'll be coming from? So we'll be talking about the thrill of hope. Now, if you do understand, Luke chapter 1 is the very first thing that is happening in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to say that again. Luke chapter 1 is the very first thing that is actually happening in the New Testament. Because Matthew chapter 1 goes through and it gives the genealogy of Jesus and it talks about, uh, you know, um, Joseph being, you know, encouraged to go ahead and go and marry Mary. But the truth is, is that six months before that, at least we see that John the Baptist has his birth foretold and he is the forerunner of Jesus. And he is very, very important in Old Testament prophecy and becoming this New Testament start right here in Luke chapter 1. So you have Matthew, Mark, but Luke chapter 1 is the very first thing that happens in the New Testament era. I hope you guys are with me. So let's keep going as we go to our next slide. This is something to learn. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 400 years has elapsed. These are often referred to as the silent years by biblical scholars, but God was still working in these years, including things that were happening found in the books of the Catholic Bible. And so sometimes you'll see that there are different books in different Bibles, whether they're Protestant or Catholic. And those intertestamentary period books are sometimes in the Catholic Bible, but not in the Protestant. You can always ask me if you have questions about that, but I will share with you, for me personally, I know that those silent years are the ones that were a little easier for the people of Israel to know, hey, clearly God is not speaking for 400 years. Now, very quickly, I'm going to slow down for just a second because sometimes I get running too fast. Think about this. Think about the birth of our country that happened less than 275 years ago. I mean, think about that. And we're talking about 400 years of God's people not hearing from God. You guys with me? Now, the silence gets broken when they have an angel come and predict the birth of John the Baptist. But let me ask you this, and this is your way of applying the scripture. Has it ever felt like God just turned the volume down? And there was no speaking to you in the midst of what you're dealing with or the difficult times or maybe a period like you and I maybe can identify that I got on a wandering path and I wandered far away from God and he didn't want to stop talking to me, but I had stopped listening to him. And so in the process of it, sometimes I have that jolt and go, man, how long has it been since I heard God's voice exactly? How long has that been? 
And why is it that he's not speaking? And then I have to look within and begin to ask, is it me? And guess what? Spoiler alert, every time it's me. (laughs) Every time it's me. I've been going in the wrong direction. I've turned him down. I've tuned him out. And those people in Israel had done that constantly to God. And God said, I've sent you prophet after prophet. I've sent you help after help, judge after judge, leader after leader, and on and on and on, and king after king. And all of these different times, you have failed to continually listen to me. So instead of me going on and on and on, talking and reaching and asking and begging and pleading, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to stop talking and see if that will make you finally begin once again to pay attention and be hungry for my voice. Now, I'm going to just say this for you. If you're a person who has ceased to hear God in the way that you wish you would or the way that you used to, I will say with you and I, it is always the same. It's you that moved, not God. God has not given up on you. He has talked about you and I as being the wandering sheep that he goes and leaves the 99 that are in the fold and goes searching for you where it would be easier to just say, well, so, so bad situation, but you know, so what? I guess I got the 99, but that's not how God works. He pursues the one, not just becoming happy with the 99. And so if you're a person who has ceased to hear from God, maybe he in this situation that you're dealing with is doing something similar to what he did with the children of Israel and he just stopped talking so that you might hear his voice. Can I get an amen? You understand what I'm saying? All right, so let me ask you guys another question. How many of y'all have kids in here? Y'all have kids? Y'all know what it's like when they're little. It's just absolutely a chaos moment every moment of the day. They're making noise, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're, ah, you know, it's just like this din of like sound that never quits. But then when you're sitting there at the table and you're just, you know, on and on and on, and then it gets quiet. <laughs> Have you all ever had that experience? You're like, uh oh, <laughs> what just happened, right? And it's almost like this panic moment, not because they're screaming and squalling, but because you, you're like, uh-oh, it got quiet, now what? Or are any of you guys like me, you were bad kids in school, and you like to talk in school more so than learn and listen? And so as you were talking to your friends, and you're, <laughs> you know, you're going back and forth with them at the desk, and then suddenly you realize that the teacher stopped talking, and you go... <laughs> You know, you have that look on your face like, oh, no. And then you turn and look at the teacher, and sure enough, she's looking right at you, and you're like, oh, no. Have any of y'all ever had that experience? It's just me. Y'all are judging me right now. I can feel it. Y'all are Christians. Y'all aren't supposed to be doing that. Here's what I know. When God stopped talking, Israel wanted to hear from him, and they couldn't for a while. But finally, God said, enough is enough. I've been quiet for too long. I'm coming back and I'm searching for you one more time. Now here's what I would say to you and to me. God never stops seeking you. You might run from him constantly and consistently, but God never stops seeking for you and for me. Not because we deserve it, but because that's who he is. 
And he went after the nation of Israel. And now he breaks the silence of 400 years and says to them, I'm about to reveal to you something that you heard of back in Malachi chapter 4, the very last chapter of the Old Testament. It's going to be up here on the screen. So as you look at this last chapter, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In other words, he says, I'm going to give you one last chance, and I'm going to actually send my son but first you will be knowing him because there will be somebody who comes in the spirit of elijah and talks about him and points to him and exalts him and this is who john the baptist was he was the one who came before jesus to point to jesus and so this is what it's all about. And if you were a Jewish person, you knew that this was God's last words before 400 years came and went without him saying a word. And now suddenly on the backside of the mountain here in Israel, there is a priest that suddenly has a vision and an experience and an encounter with an angel. God breaks his silence and says, you, Zechariah, and your wife are going to have a son, and he's going to be special from birth. He is going to be the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. He's going to fulfill Malachi chapter 4, and he will be the forerunner of my son who will come and live among you. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's what's going on here. Let's go to our next slide. And this is also, I think, something else to learn. Zechariah was referred to as a priest from the division of Abijah. He was not the high priest. You need to know that. Instead, he was part of a rotation of priests that would perform duties in the temple, then go back to their homes until the rotation came up uh, to serve. And so he would go and he would burn incense for the Lord and then he would go back to his home at different times in the year. And this is where the angel meets him right there in the temple with the altar going on right there. Okay, let's go to our next slide. And where do we see Jesus in this passage? Jesus is the promised one of God, fulfilling every detail like the forerunner of Elijah coming first. In other words, when God promises something, he always delivers. It's not always exactly like we would expect, but he always delivers. And so Jesus just coming on his own was not ever going to be the first thing that happened because he needed that forerunner to say, this is what I said I would do, and now you see exactly that I did just what I said I would do. Are you guys with me? You understand what I'm saying? So whenever God's promises are given to you, you know what will happen, usually not in our time, but all always it does happen. And so here, <laughs> he seemed too long in coming. It was, they were ready for him, I'm sure, well before, but they were fully aware of Jesus' coming when he came. He was perfect, and he came in God's perfect timing. And this is so important. The book of Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, that Jesus came and lived among us, gave himself as a sacrifice for us. And that fullness of time basically means when everything was completed that needed to be complete, and all of that was finished and done, and everything that God promised that he would do had been done, that's when Jesus came and made himself known. So we know that God came in the perfect timing. And by the way, 
(laughs) This applies to us as well, because oftentimes we think God has forgotten, but God has never forgotten about us. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're facing, and he has not pulled his hands back and said, I'm not interested anymore. No, instead, he is quiet, but he is watching, and he will once again intervene in your life when the fullness and the completeness of time comes for you and for me. Let's go to our next slide here, and this is the big idea. Christmas reminds us that God has not forgotten us. Christmas reminds us that God has not forgotten us. Now, I'm going to say something a little bit that you might kind of feel a little weird about. And I'm just going to take a moment and speak about it right now. So here's what I would say. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk about God has an obsession with mankind, that God has an obsession with humanity. And in some ways, it's weird because we don't really think about God who is desperate for anything because he is self-sufficient, he is self-sustaining, he is God, he needs nothing else. But as strange as it may sound, God has a soft spot in heart that he cannot quit humanity. He cannot leave humanity to itself. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second because it's not the way we normally talk about it. But don't you think God should have quit chasing after us a long time ago? Can I get an amen? I mean, he should have given up and said, you know what? I tried, and they were the ones who were going to benefit, not me. (laughs) But God's soft spot in his heart for humanity, his obsession with humanity would not allow him to say, well, I'm washing my hands of it, and they are left to their own devices, and I'm going to leave them in their own sins and not worry about it. Although that would have been what most of us would have chosen to do. But instead, God said, I'm obsessed with showing my absolute love to the ones that I have created. I want to show my love to them in every way possible. And let me ask you guys. All right. Not every kid is gone, but most kids are gone. Y'all know that kids are not the easiest thing in the world. And yet, what in the world would we do without our kids, right? I mean, you know, like for all of us, It's not the smartest financial decision that you make. Those of you who are laughing have tried to put kids through college. I get it. You know, so ultimately, like, you know about this. It's love in a pure form. It's not there because it's good for you. It's good, period, intrinsically. God's passion for mankind is not dependent on mankind being good. It comes from his character, That is why we need to become more like God before we can actually love this world that is so unlovable at times. Can I get an amen, right? We know the unlovable side of the world. We can't do it on our own. It is something supernatural, and that is what God is doing in us. He is reminding us, I have a passion and a heart that should have given up a long time ago, but I can't stop pursuing humanity. That's what Christmas reminds us of. And he said, I love you guys so much that I'm going to send my only son to live among you, to live in the body of a human being so you know that you never go through something that you don't have an advocate in my presence to say what it's like to be weak and hungry and cold and all of these negative things that we encounter to feel no hope, to feel despair, to feel abandonment, to feel hurt, to feel pain, on and on and on the list goes. And he sent his son to do it all because he loves us 
that much. God can't stop pursuing mankind even though it is and was his son's ultimately an undoing. So Christmas reminds us that God has not forgotten us even when he should have. On the count of three, would you guys read this aloud with me? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Christmas reminds us that God has not forgotten us. Let's go to our next slide. Let's keep moving. Okay, so as we continue to look at this, the rest of the story is as Zechariah goes home, his wife Elizabeth, though he is old and she is old, they conceive a son that is supernatural and incredible. She is barren and she is old. And the unfortunate thing back in the day, we now know different. But back in the day, every time a woman was barren, it was her fault, not ever the man's. I'm, ladies, listen, I'm telling you what it was, not what it should have been. Don't hate the messenger, okay? But here's what we know. Every time it was blamed on the woman, which we clearly know is not the case these days. Modern, modern medical science tells us different. But they were always blamed. And then in that time, they were people who said, the only thing that a woman really wants to do and loves to do, I know it's very different again today, but that is what was the very top of the top to be a mother and to bring an heir, specifically a male heir that would carry on the name of that husband of theirs. This is all what it was, not what it should have been, but this is all what it was. And even worse... Elizabeth had the stigma of being somebody that was bearing God's frustration and wrath. Because if this is always your fault, and this is always what you want above all things, and it is always seen as a judgment of God that you cannot be a mother, then Elizabeth has strike one, strike two, and the third strike, and she's out as far as God goes in everybody else's mind. Do you guys understand where I'm coming from and what's happening here? So all of this is happening for Elizabeth. Can I ask you a question? That's what society thought. Is that actually accurate about Elizabeth? It's not, is it? That's what people thought, but not what God thought. And oftentimes what God thinks and what Society thinks very, very different. Let's keep moving here to this next slide. As we look here, as they were both righteous before God, that means Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both what? Righteous before God, and yet everybody thought they knew who they really were. They didn't deserve a child according to God. They were cursed. They were not worthy. They were not on God's good list. They, they made the naughty list when it came to God back then. But notice, they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statues, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They weren't even eligible anymore because their childbearing years were over. We don't know exactly how old she was, but at a minimum, she was probably in her mid-40s, maybe more towards her early 50s and later. She was considered barren, and it just wasn't going to happen, and the time had passed her by. Okay, so let's keep moving here as we see this. Again, don't miss this. People who follow the Lord are not exempt from tests. Also, a test or trial does not mean that God is mad at you. Now, I know all of you know this, 
that a test or a trial doesn't mean that God is mad at you. But how many times have you said to yourself, I'm going through this thing, why is God mad at me? <laughs> you know it now when you're not in the middle of the, of the trial and the test, but when you're in the middle of it, you revert back to how you feel, not what you know. And you say to yourself, why is God mad at me? What did I do that was wrong? Can I just share with you very quickly, and I want you to just interact with me for a moment. Did Moses have trials, yes or no? <laughs> like crazy, <laughs> like crazy. Did Job have trials, yes or no? Like crazy. Do you remember that literally Job was God's bragging piece? He's like, have you considered my servant Job? The one who is upright, and Satan says, yeah, well, you know, I'd be upright too if I had all the things and all the hand of blessings on God like he does, but if you remove your hand, he'll curse you to your face. I already know that to be true. And God said, oh yeah, I do not agree. And Job went through so many trials, so many tests, and all not because he was bad, but because he was good and righteous. And the truth of the matter is, is sometimes we go through trials, we think we're on God's naughty list, and we're not. He is doing something bigger than us, and something we can't grasp or understand. But he is at work, and he never stops working. What about David? Did David go through trials, 14 years of waiting on the kingdom that he was promised? What about Paul? Did Paul deal with any kind of problems here or there? <laughs> what about... Uh, that is not you, Jesus. That is Jesus. <laughs> I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. Think about what he went through. My goodness. I mean, the, the trials from minute one all the way throughout his entire ministry to the very last breath, cursed and spit upon at his lowest point. Did he deal with trials? Absolutely. So if all of these folks have dealt with trials and dealt with tribulations and tests, don't think that it avoids us because it will find us all and it does not mean that God is mad at you. All right, so let's keep moving here. And I want to talk a little bit more about, I believe, the next one, the rest of the story. In between the conception of John the Baptist, the angel visits Mary and she says, how is this going to be? I can't believe this is going to happen. He says, you are highly favored with God. And then he says, if you will, and she says, I am willing, may it be unto me as you have said. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. I will do what he asks me to do. And so for six months, uh, John the Baptist has been growing and getting closer and closer. There's a six-month difference between the conception of John the Baptist and Jesus. And so the angel visits Mary. And then Mary, in six months, uh, time she comes and uh, or in uh, a few weeks time she comes and sees Elizabeth at her sixth month and when she does she says hey it's good to see you that's the New Texas version and then Elizabeth says the baby in my womb heard you speak and at that moment he leaped for joy this child has a connection with your child and then she says, and what in the world are you doing here? You're the mother of the Lord, and you're here greeting me. What have I done to deserve this? 
And then we hear about the birth of John the Baptist, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I've laid a lot of foundation. Now let me go ahead and hang these things on some hangers that hopefully you guys can take with you as you go. Let's keep moving to our next slide. The birth of John the Baptist. First of all, the thrill of hope in Luke chapter 1 begins as the silence is broken and God shows his obsession with you and with me, not because we are worthy, but because he is God and he always is good. Amen? Amen. So the second here, as we go to this next slide, here's what I want to share with you. The silence is broken, but let's hear how that silence is broken that Tiffany read about. Did you hear that part where I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I've come to deliver some news to you and you didn't want to listen. So I tell you what, you're going to have another chance to listen just like Israel did because you won't be able to speak until the baby is born. Did y'all hear that part? Now, if you want to kill me, go ahead and put the curse of Zechariah on me because I have actually tried to fast from speaking. I had this hilarious thing that happened one time. I was trying to go for a full 24 to 48 hours time without speaking. And so I, in my house, it's two stories and I have a, a railing that's right here. And I'm like, I don't know, 16 hours into my fast of not speaking. And so I'm just sitting there and everything's going on down there. This is when my kids are still at the house and they're talking and I'm telling them I'm not, I'm not like letting them be surprised that I'm not speaking to them. I'm going to try to be quiet so that the Lord can speak to me and so I can listen without running my mouth, right? So y'all are like, that boy loves food and talking. What in the world? You know, all right, y'all be nice. Y'all... Y'all think nice thoughts about me. It would be helpful. So as I'm sitting there and all of this commotion is going on down underneath me, I'm leaning over the railing and I'm just listening to it and listening to it and listening to it. And then I just yell out something. And I was like, oh, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I was trying to be fasting from speaking. It was just like this yell out moment. I'm like, oh. And then I just kind of was like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> going back to that fasting thing that I was doing. So... It's a crazy thing to think about not being able to talk for 28 or 24 or 48 hours, much less weeks and weeks and weeks. But Zechariah can't say a word until he submits to God's plan in his life. And here's what happens. On the eighth day after the child has been born, and this has to be the longest eight days, because the baby has been born and Zechariah still doesn't have his voice, Right? I thought I'd get it back when the baby came along, but I guess I was wrong. And so here's what happens. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, John the Baptist. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. That's the name that the angel gave. No, he will be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called so he asked for a writing tablet, and then we go to the next slide, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And the fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard it laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. 
Are you guys following what happened there? Isn't that an awesome story? So let me ask you an honest question. If John could have spoken all of that time, do you think everybody would have been paying attention on the same level as had he been asked to bear the burden of not speaking for weeks and likely for months? It's B, right? I know I didn't ask that question very well, but you see where I'm going with this. Whenever we are going through something, we have not only God's attention, but we also have the attention of the world around us to see how we will act or react. And everybody starts looking because of what John, uh, uh, pardon me, what John will be, but what Zachariah has gone through to have John in this world. Okay. I'm going to move on. So uh, we go much quicker here. Let's keep moving here. As we go to our next slide, this is the priest's most powerful message. The best message he ever spoke happened when he couldn't talk at all. It was when he submitted to God and said, I don't have to speak to bring glory to God, but I will bear this in silence so I eventually can be in obedience to God and what he wants to accomplish. So Zechariah shows God's grace by being quiet and silent. Let's keep going to our next slide. Don't miss this. People are watching how you go through what you're going through. I'm going to say that one more time, and you guys can get ready with your amen, because I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming. Here we go. People are watching how you go through what you're going through. Amen? They do. Because it's real easy to talk about a big game with God whenever it's not hard. But when it starts getting hard and we change everything and we go inward instead of looking upward, like all of that stuff speaks to people and it hits them and they learn things about where our real faith is. I'm not saying it is not hard. I'm not saying that it is not difficult. But people are always watching how you go through what you're going through. And by the way, if you're not going through something now, you're probably just around the corner from going through something because that's just the way life is. I wish it were different, but it's just not. So anyway, let's keep moving. All right, so the thrill of hope in Luke chapter one, the silence is broken over 400 years. A priest speaks a powerful message without saying a word. And then the baron bears a child. Elizabeth goes from an object of scorn to a vessel of hope. You see that? She goes from a woman who everybody has pitied to a woman that everybody now envies because God's hand is on her. And the only thing that changed was God showed up and he was given his way in their life. The barren bears a child and Elizabeth becomes a vessel of hope. All right, let's go to our next slide. As we bring this to our I apply by, whatever you go through, Always remember and let others know that God is bringing you through, and that's why you hope. That's why you have that hope that is within you that does not make sense in the common, ordinary, everyday human viewpoint. But it is hope. It is the thrill of hope. And I'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. But it is 
why we do not mourn as those who have no hope when we lose a loved one, as the passage of Scripture from Paul says. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. Instead, we continually say, hey, I don't know how it's going to happen, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but God is going to bring me through this. And when he does, I want you to know it's not because of me, but it is all because of him. I have hope for what God is doing in my life and doing through my life. In the midst of it all, I have the thrill of hope. So here is what I would ask you before we kind of close this down and watch a a video I think that will be a huge blessing to you. Here's what I ask. Are you like Israel where it feels like God has just stopped speaking to you for I mean, for forever. You just can't even remember the last time. Or are you like Zechariah, where you feel like it's just been recent, but God has felt like he's harder to hear, and he's not really speaking, and you're asked to bear a burden that you don't want to bear. Or maybe you're like Elizabeth, who says, you know what, people don't understand, but I've been dealing with this not for months or years, but all of the years of my life. I've been dealing with this kind of hurt and pain and anger and frustration and all of these debilitating things that are in my life. I'm dealing with them all. Here is what I would share with you. It always comes back to Jesus, just like I said earlier in our service. It always comes back to him. This is why you can have hope, even if it's been forever or just recent or if it feels like it's been with you all of your life. Here's what I know. The God who can't quit pursuing you loves you so much that he would give his most precious possession to die so that you might have life. If that doesn't give you hope that the God who made you and wants to spend eternity with you, I'm telling you there's nothing else that I can offer better than Christmas which says to all of us, there is a thrill of hope that can change our outlook on our life, no matter who we are or what we're going through. The thrill of hope here at Christmas and here today for all of us, if we will pay attention.